today we're going to start a series on Ephesians, and we're going to talk through Ephesians for a few months. Um, it'll take a little while to get through. We're not in any hurry because it's God's Word, so no big deal. But uh, we're going to center that around true Christianity, what it really means, what it really is. Um, Doc, my doctor, who is a Muslim from, um, I mean, he's an American Muslim, but he is his background. He's he's first generation American. His family is moved here from Pakistan. Um, So uh, but I love the guy. We've become best friends. Uh, We spent a lot of time together outside of uh, the doctor's office. And if you know me, I am not a fan of doctors. I'm not a fan of hospitals or doctor's offices or any of that. So for us to be buddies is a big deal, besides the fact that he knows I'm a pastor. Um, But We've had many talks, as you can imagine, and he usually brings them up. And uh, recently I was there, and we were talking, and he made the point that um, since 9-11, really, he's been afraid um, of Christians, literally said of Christians. Um, and I know what he, why he says that. I know what he means. Um I remember 9-11 like most of you do. Uh, but but he his point was bigger than just 9-11. He felt like it was getting worse, not better. Now, now you can disagree with this. This is, not, this is not a debate. I'm telling you his heart, okay? And this man sat there and looked at me and he said, have you ever watched Jesus Christ Superstar? And I said, no. I was like, no, no. I said, I really, and he goes, well, it's not a great, it's not a bad movie. I said, not, it's not that. I don't do musicals. Like, I can't enjoy musicals. And um, he goes, well, you need to watch it. And I was like, yeah, I, Doc, I love you, dude. I can't, I just don't do them, man. I can't. And uh, he, he was like, well, there's a song in there, and I don't know about this. I haven't seen it. So if, you know, if you've seen it and you know, maybe you know what he's talking about. But he said there's a song in there where Mary Magdalene sings about not being able to thank Jesus, that the grace that in the love in particular that Jesus has shown to this prostitute is so overwhelming that she doesn't know how to thank him. And Doc's point in bringing that up was he's never met Christians that made him feel that way. With the, he, he honored me with saying other than you and one other couple that he knows. But he said other than that in his life, he's never met Christians that made him feel that way and the dude starts to cry like this is a muslim his whole life he's older than me and he he starts to cry and and his heart is like clearly longing for that you know and and i felt like for a moment embarrassed like but i agreed with him i told him i said i understand what you're saying and you know i'm not gonna sit here and bash my family but at the same time i i understand why you say that why you feel that way. And I'll tell you, for a long time, I, I'll i be fully transparent with you. And I told Josh this. Um, I, I don't use the word Christian very often. Almost never, honestly. I can't stand the word in the past. Um, because for me, it carries a negative connotation in the same way it does to him. It's a generic term that means a million things. It, it, it has no meaning. In fact, what it really means is American. 
to, to most of the world, Christian means American, honestly. To us, it sure does. It means patriotism. It means democracy. It means tolerance of everything to some people. And it means arrogance to other people. It means self-righteousness. I'm right, you're wrong. It means cowardice. Like, won't stand up for things you say you believe in. It can mean a million different things. It means loving red and hating blue. I don't care. I'm just, I'm saying it. It means, like, hating war but loving guns. I'm not calling any of these things wrong. I'm just telling you, this is what people see Christian as meaning. It means King James only, but Queen James for some people. And there is a Queen James. It means... All kinds of split things. People don't even know what it means. It means submit to authority, but protest everything. You know? So that little video is pretty good because what does it mean to be a Christian? There's endless denominations. I've had two conversations in the past two weeks about what we believe because we say community church. So people want to know, does that mean you're non-denominational? Which is funny that non-denomination has become a denomination. Right. Um, There's a lot of religions that claim to be Christian. People call Mormons and Jehovah's Witness cults, but they call themselves Christian. There's others. That's not the only ones. There's others. Uh, What about Catholics? They mentioned Catholics in the video. Uh, Are they Christians? You know, I've met Catholics that I firmly believe are, are Christians. But I can tell you this, I can speak for Ireland, my, my heritage, if you go to Ireland and you meet Catholics and you call them Christian, they'll straighten you out real fast. They are not Christian. They are good Irish Catholic. Do not confuse the two. Catholic and Christian are not the same to them. I'm speaking for them. They'll straighten you out fast. They are Catholic, not Christian. So what, what does it mean? Well, I'd love to say turn to this page in your Bible that talks about the word and explains Christian. But Christian is only in the Bible three times. And two, at least two, maybe all three, but at least two of those are a negative connotation. They're not a positive thing necessarily. They're almost said with sarcasm because the word literally means little Christ. Uh, and the thing is that the early Christians, though, owned that. They were okay with that. They were good with that. Um, but the reason that we have so many different denominations of Christianity and all that stuff, to, I'm going to tell you the truth, and you may hate to hear this, but it's a fact, is because we've decided to take study out of being a disciple of Jesus. Like, studying the word, the word doctrine, oh my gosh, like, when, when I, I'm, I'm 50 now, in my 50s, but when I was in my 20s and 30s, every, now, granted, I wasn't in church a lot in my 20s, but by the time I got in my thir- late 20s and 30s, I was back in the, in the church, and people were doing everything they could do to erase that boring, ugly word so people would come to church. We're not going to talk about doctrine. We're not going to focus on doctrine, because nobody want to hear that. We want people to come to church, and doctrine is a boring word, um, and as a result, we've turned to this lifestyle thing. That Christianity is a lifestyle. And it is. So I'm not saying that's not true either. But the problem is by going all the way to the one side, we don't even know how to define the word anymore. Now it's however you want to live, however she wants to live, however he wants to live, whatever he thinks is right, whatever sounds right, whatever the majority votes is right. Um, so. I want to redeem the word Christian. That's what I told Josh. <laughs> I said I'm going to redeem the word for me. 
for me, because like I said, I hate using it. So I'm going to redeem the word Christian, and we're going to do it through a study of Ephesians. And it's a perfect book for it, because half of the book of Ephesians is super theological. Um, I told Josh, by the time we get through chapter one, if y'all still love us, we're okay. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm kidding, but chapter one of Ephesians is heavy. So buckle your seatbelt for sure next week um, and the next couple of weeks if you come. So the second half of the book, though, goes from the deep theology into how do we use this? So how does this work in my life? Uh, how do I do this as a parent? How do I do this as a husband or as a wife? Uh, all, all those different things. How do I fight spiritual battles? How do I face uh, spiritual enemies? All those kind of things. So it's a perfect book to do that with. So today we're going to start it out with what's a Christian? It's a great, we'll probably readdress this question multiple times, but what's a Christian? Uh, Logan came up and read from Ephesians 2, 19 to 21. I'm not going to go back into that. We're actually going to start at the beginning of the book, but uh, it's a good theme, a couple of theme verses, and that's why I had them re- had him read that. So turn to Ephesians. So. Tenth book of the New Testament, it's kind of tucked in, it's maybe small in there, but you're going to need a Bible, obviously, so if you need them, they're back there. i got some more Spanish Bibles, so if you prefer those, they're back there. But uh, go to Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 1. Um, when I was in the band, most of y'all know I used to be in a band forever ago. Um, when I was in that band, and it was a Christian metal band, I was in different bands, but when I came to know the Lord, I got into a band, and we did like Christian super hard rock kind of stuff. And I remember on our second album, we did a couple, a few albums and we toured, but I remember on our second album, we wanted to get very, we wanted to get hard, like we wanted to be harder. Like we didn't care anymore if churches were going to let us play worship on their stage. We were like, we want to, we're, we're better in the streets. You know, we're better with the kids that are wearing black and chains and tattoos and whatever. Like, like give us that crew. That's what we like playing anyway. So we're like our second album, we're like, we want it to be really, really hard, but we want people to know what we think about Jesus. And we want that no and we weren't it didn't have anything to do with being bold. It had to do with the fact that we just man, we were we knew we were certain. We just knew him. Like we were certain of who he was. So we want you to know that right up front. So if you want to turn it off, you can turn it off from the beginning. So the way we start the very first song on the very on the whole album is our singer just shouts more or less it's in a in a musical format but it's just him kind of shouting i am a christian and then we just jump into this really hard song and went on the whole album went that way but that became the best part of the show we started doing that at the concerts it's the way we started the concerts he would come out we'd we'd be dead silent and he'd just shout that at the top of his lungs and it didn't matter if people followed christ or not they just they got excited about it and they started you know it led into the music but here's the point that i'm bringing that story up from for if we were shouting that having seen that video we just watched uh, i'm not condemning us i'm just saying what what does that mean for us to shout i'm a christian what does that mean um in ephesus paul approaches it the same way and i think he starts similarly to the way we did as the band he more or less shouts right from the start here i am a christian 
Doesn't say it exactly that way, but that's what he's saying. So before we launch in, though, let me set the stage because we're talking about a new book, a new study, talking about Ephesus. So let me set the stage really quick. Uh, we talked about it back during when we did the story of God. We talked about Ephesus a little bit. You can go back and look that up. It was when we were in Acts. Um, I'm not going to go back into a lot of detail here except to say that Acts tells us that this church was birthed on a riot which is awesome. You can go back and read it in chapter 19. I don't know why that's awesome, but it's all You laughed. You're with me. <laughs> uh, but I will point this back out. In Acts 19, in verse 18, uh, after a moment with some exorcists and some demons, it says, many of those, in verse uh, Acts 19, verse 18, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sights of all, and they counted the value of them, found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. We talked about that before. I'm not going to go back into it all except to say that it tells you what kind of world Ephesus was, that these people were coming out in droves like that. The Temple of Diana was there, or Artemis, as she's called, um, it was considered one of the seventh wonders of the world. Again, not going back into that. You can Google it and study it all you want. But just to give you a quick reminder, it's on the west coast of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, it's in the mouth of a river along one of the highest-traveled roads in the Roman Empire in those days. So that can tell you what kind of people were probably coming in. It's con- it was considered the capital city of Asia Minor for... Deck uh, 200 years before Paul, so it was huge. And here's some pictures. I just found them online. But here's some pictures uh, or on a thing I use. Here's some pictures that will show you some ideas. There's Ephesus, and you can see the where it is. You can see so it's Palestine, but you can see where Israel is down there, where Jerusalem and um, going around. So geographically where it's at, that's a rendering of it, just somebody's artist interpretation of it. Go ahead. I just got a handful. So this is a modern-day picture of the main road. If you go there, uh, you can see that. It's still there, what's left of it. Um, obviously a theater, arena, whatever. I'm just giving you I, something to put in your mind where you can see. Go ahead. So these are render. This is cool. This is um, an app that renders the, what it might have looked like. Nobody knows. There's obviously no photographs. So, But perhaps that road, maybe that's what it looked like. Uh, just giving you some ideas to think about, to have it in your brain as we're studying through this. So these ruins are there, a library, and that might be what it may have looked like with that library there. Um, is that the last one? Maybe. Okay. So um, I think about this. This is what comes to mind as I was thinking about all this. Have any of y'all been to New Orleans? Being from the south, okay, New Orleans, where I used to live, is about eight hours drive away. So I used to go to New Orleans frequently, especially when I was back in the day, you know, that we say. Um, but I'll never forget going the first time to New Orleans and seeing um, just the culture. And like when you – like there's, you know, the, the river. You're, you're basically kind of down there in the Gulf, but there's also the river that comes up. Uh, Mississippi River that dumps down in there, and there's river boats and there's all that. But I, I remember there's a French market, which is awesome. And if you ever go, you have to go to these places. But there's a French market that's just it's an enormous market right on the side of the mouth of the Mississippi where it dumps out into the ocean. And so that whole market is just full of all kinds of items, whether it be food or otherwise, that are right off 
the boat, literally, from all over the world, um, where people come from everywhere, from South Africa, literally, and will come up and will sell their goods and then in the market and then go back and then come back when they have more goods to sell. And so that market is full of that. Um, and then as you kind of move into the French Quarter and those areas, it goes more to the party side. It gets more wild and gets more crazy. Um, you have... I don't have to go into it, but you have every kind of debauchery you can think of living in the French Quarter. Um, you have all throughout New Orleans, Catholicism is everywhere, like the, the remnants of it in some ways and the, the modern versions of it, the remnants of the old Catholicism and the new Catholicism. Christianity is kind of everywhere, but it's all mixed with voodoo. And voodoo is huge there. There's shops all over the place where you can go in and you can buy tools to practice your voodoo with. Um, there's pagan uh, shops everywhere. Maybe you're not fully into voodoo. Maybe you're kind of neutral in a pagan sense. So there's pagan shops all over the place you can go practice your paganism in. Um, there's idols all over the place, whether they be uh, a you know an icon of Mary or a demon or some tree. Literally, I mean, I can go around the, the whole gamut of it all and the voodoo, you know, mound and all this stuff, dirt and stuff, where people are throwing offerings and everything on top of it all. It's all mixed up around Mary and the cross and there's drugs and there's music and there's food. And the number one goal for everybody there is to be happy, be satisfied with whatever you indulge to do. Um that, I think, was Ephesus. I, I feel like in a lot of ways, that's the way it was. The culture, as we looked, it was a port city. It was filled with wealth. It was notorious for luxury, for sensuality, for indulgence. Is a melting pot of all of these religions and superstitions and sorcery and magic, idolatry, paganism. As I mentioned, Diana was already worshipped there on a level beyond probably anything else like it. People that didn't even believe in Diana were compelled to go um, visit or worship her in her temple. So, uh, I think, yeah, that's a rendering of what the temple might have looked like. Um, there's really nothing left of it anymore, but there's a lot of renderings, and most of them look similar to that, of what that temple may have looked like. So, that's the environment, all right? So, that said, that being said, this is the most positive letter Paul ever wrote. There's virtually no negative anything in it. It's just information in a lot of ways. It's just teaching. There's no complaints. There's none of that. And as I mentioned, Paul, I believe, is the author. I'll let him tell you in his own words what he has to say as far as writing it. But uh, it was likely written in prison from Rome. He was in house arrest there in 60, 62 A.D., and so a lot believe that he wrote it from there. It's the same time Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, these other books were written. Some argue, I will be fair, and, and we'll jump in here in two seconds. I know it's a lot of background, but it's important. You need it. So some argue that um, it wasn't actually intended for the Ephesians because in the earliest manuscripts, the word Ephesus or Ephesians is not mentioned in there. So some argue that it wasn't intended for them, but it was intended for all of these churches that were in the region. 
Well, all of the churches in the region swapped all of those letters anyway, so that's no big surprise. So whether it was or whether it wasn't means nothing to me. It still was God's word intended for these churches. Uh, some, even now, doubt that Paul wrote it. Uh, until the 1700s, that was never even in doubt. And since the 1700s, there's been kind of this new push that maybe it wasn't Paul. Maybe it was one of Paul's disciples who's crediting Paul as having written it. To me, these are theologians that have way too much time and, and dig so hard that they're, they're burying, they're missing the meaning for the sake of the research. Um, not taking shots because I, I couldn't name a name, but I, I, I'm not taking shots. I'm just saying, I believe Paul wrote it. His name's in there. I believe he wrote it to the Ephesians. I think that would have been smart. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Why would you not write a letter to them and that church that was there that he was well acquainted to? So either way, it makes no difference. It's God's word, so that's the way we're going to look at it. So go to Ephesians 1, verse 1. We're only looking at a couple of verses. I know we've already talked a good while. Don't sweat it. We're not going very far in here. So. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I always give you one sentence. Here's your one sentence. Um, It's on the sheets back there if you grab one. If not, it doesn't matter. This is not scripture. This is just me. Just to give you an idea of what we're trying to look at here. If God's call on your life is displayed in your identity in Jesus, then people will know what it means to be a Christian. If God's call on your life is displayed by your identity in Christ, then people will know what it means to be a Christian. Before we pull this all apart, there's a key word you've got to see in here in verse 2. It's that word from. In verse 2 there, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, this, what we're reading here, is not just an opinion of a wise man. It's inspired. Do you understand what he's saying by dropping that word from in there? Paul is calling himself a spokesman for God our Father. As though he were standing with God and has stepped up on God's behalf to tell you. What God has to say. That's a, that's a bold thing to do. C.S. Lewis said of Jesus, he's either a, a, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Because he doesn't let you have room to believe anything else. He's either Lord, as he claimed, or he's crazy, or he's straight lying. Well, I would say, in a sense, Paul's in the same category here, not as not being Jesus, but Paul's giving you the same thing. Either what he's saying is Scripture, because he's saying it's directly from God. So it's either Scripture, or Paul is an idiot, a lunatic, or he's lying to you. And if that be the case, close your Bible and enjoy the rest of the day, and you don't have to look at it again. But if it's Scripture, then it's straight from God. He says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul calls himself an apostle. It means sent one. So aren't we all sent? Yes. Are we all apostles? No. Um, the word can be a proper word or a descriptive word. For instance, my name means beloved in Hebrew. David, beloved. 
Are we all beloved of God? Yes. Are we all David? No. Um, there might be more Davids, but you're not all me. You know, lucky you. Uh, but Paul had a personal appearance from Jesus to appoint him alongside the other apostles who had walked with Jesus and knew Jesus and saw Jesus. He says this himself. It's not me putting words in his mouth. You can look it up in your own time. It's in Acts 26. And some debate today what that word means. Some say apostle means church planner. Could be. I'm not going to fight about it. Some say that there's whole churches, apostolic churches, that are built around an apostle uh, and all that kind of thing. I don't lean in that camp typically, and that's because of a few reasons, but the biggest one for me is Acts chapter 1, and we won't go into it all now. You can come argue with me about it later or ask or whatever, but in Acts chapter 1, uh, there were tons of disciples, but there were 11 apostles because one of those apostles had died, took his own life, Judas. He was gone. And so they then begin the process of appointing a one other man to fill that slot to get back to 12. And there was a grade scale by which they came to the determination of who that person was going to be. And they assigned that person so that there were once again 12. So, and then Paul speaks of himself being untimely born or, or unique among. So there's something about these apostles that were unique. And it was that they spent time with the Lord. They knew Jesus and they would write what we call the word of God. And they were trustworthy because they knew him and they were assigned that purpose. So Paul's saying, I'm one of those, verse one, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he says, by the will of God, his position in the kingdom was by God's will. It's what God wanted. Listen to me. We all as Christians, every one of you here, every one of you, as a, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian in this room, all of you have a purpose in the kingdom of God. You do. Every one of you, not, not just that's what I did with my life, not that's what I will do with my life. Right now, today, until you stop breathing, you have a, a purpose in his kingdom. And listen, though, listen, though, this is the part I want you to hear. By the will of God means it's not necessarily going to be your will. Highly likely won't be your will. If you are fulfilling your purpose in God's kingdom, it's almost never going to be what you anticipate it to be. It's almost never going to be something that's easily prepared for and easily accomplished. It's likely not going to be something that's rewarding financially. In fact, it might break you in the opposite direction. That's what Paul is saying by the will of God. He's not saying I'm miserable. Paul is saying that this is, I didn't sign up, hey, I want to be an apostle. Paul was interrupted. Whole life changed. He is an apostle, but it's because God willed that he would be. And God's will is rarely ever our will. Being called by the will of God means surrender. It means he must increase, I must decrease as John the Baptist said. It means that not by might, not not by might, not by strength, but in my weakness, as Paul said, he, he's made whole. It means your accomplishments are not worth bragging on anymore, as Paul said. 
I don't care what kind of great things you've done in your life. So what? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying me. I'm saying that's the attitude. Like, who cares? Let me tell you how amazing Jesus is. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me tell you what he's doing right now. You know, we yeah, you want to know how I got a culinary degree? You want to know, you know, some of the things I've done? Well, I'll tell you, but I, mean, I really don't care. You want to talk about how Jesus interrupted me trying to take my life on a bridge? I'll tell you about that right now. You want to tell tell you how Jesus called me to Arizona? I'll tell you that until you're sick of hearing it. Some of you have heard it enough times to be sick of hearing it. Um, But it also means that you have this peace that passes understanding. You have something in you that makes you comfortable, even though you shouldn't be. You have this purpose, even if you can't explain it. You have this feeling of my life matters. Like it's important that I'm here, even if you're not sure why yet. It also means you gain something that cannot be destroyed. It means you have something. Listen now. You have something in a place where it cannot be stolen. It cannot decay. It cannot mold. It doesn't grow old. And no one can take it. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, it means that you have the opportunity to make a father, your father, proud. Paul says to the saints, in verse 1, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to saints. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time camping on this. He does this in most of his writings, says it that way. He calls himself a servant. He calls the church saints. Uh, Our Catholic friends have flipped that and made the saints an elite group of people um, assigned holiness Whereas we're all hoping to get to that level or no, we can't and hope they'll pray for us. Uh, But that's not the way Paul said it. Paul said it the other way. Paul said that the church was saints and he was there to serve them. Paul here writes to saints, he says, in Ephesus. Literally, the word means saint means holy ones. And he says who are faithful. And he's pointing to what truly identifies a person as a saint, that they're faithful. Not super Christians. Didn't say flawless, did it? It said faithful. It didn't say sinless. It said it said it said faithful. A saint is not sinless. A saint just is, is set apart in Christ. Just means Christ has set you apart. And Paul explains that later. So we'll talk about it as we come to it uh, in the tech in the book. But here's two details that Paul uses to categorize a true Christian right up front. Two details that he uses to categorize a true Christian right up front. That they are a saint and faithful, or holy, you could say, and faithful. Set apart and faithful, however you want to look at it. That's one. And two, they're part of a local gathering. Because he said at Ephesus. So they are part of of a local body of believers. They're part of Christ in a local city where they're gathered and they can hear from God. In this case, through Paul. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God. Grace, they're already saved. Ephesians 2, he says you were saved by grace through faith. So he's not talking about salvation here. What Paul is extending is a request, a prayer in a sense, a request that grace would guide their lives. Man, what a great request. That grace would guide our lives. I don't know about y'all, but I need lots of that. 
I need lots of that. And some of y'all in this room have extended me grace multiple times because I know I've disappointed you or I've dropped the ball on you or I've failed you in different ways and you've continued to love me well. That, that's grace to me. Uh, and, and I hope I'm extending it to you. I'm hoping I extend it to others too, that you would feel for me that same grace. And that's what he's saying. That same sense of it's not because of what you've done, but it's because I'm compelled to love you. I'm compelled to care. I'm compelled to spend time with you. The reason that Josh spent the time he did on Friday with the guy he spent it with is because it was grace to that man. Now, that man doesn't know that yet, maybe. But it was grace from Josh that was compelled to him. That he would sit there with him and enjoy that time and have that conversation. Peace, he says. We spit that word around way commonly now. Um, and that's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. But they already have peace with God too. So this is not about peace with God. This is a prayer that their life is filled with peace. Not just, man, I hope we don't run into war today. Um, not just, I hope my wife and I don't fight today. Not just, I hope my kids don't tear the house up today. But like a sense that things are going to be cool. Things are going to be okay. You might live in a crazy place. You might live in a crazy time. You might feel like it's all coming down around you. But peace to you, man. Peace to you. May God fill you with a peace that overwhelms that sense of terror and fear and whatever. And then in verse 2, as he wraps it up, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um. Our here is not a universal term, and I'm going to step on some toes, but hold on with me just a minute. Uh, it doesn't mean every human being on the planet is a child of God. That's not what he's saying. He's not calling every person on the planet God your father. In fact, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I'll point it out. The word of God would argue that Jesus himself addressed a group of people, you can go read it in John. Jesus himself addressed a group of people and referred to them as children of the devil, citing that Satan was their father. Um, and said, if you knew me, you would know my father also. So there's clearly a distinction. When he says our father here, he's not just talking about everybody in general. He's talking about those who would recognize the son. If you recognize who Jesus is, then you will recognize who the Father is. You're going to know who they are. And true Christianity recognizes who Jesus is. True Christianity surrenders to Jesus by faith. And when you do, the first words out of your mouth are, Father, forgive me. There's a realization of who the Father is. And the first thing you want to say from your mouth when you see who Jesus is, is Father. Forgive me. But not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did. When I see the cross, when I finally understand what he did, Father, forgive me. And we know then he is our Father too. And that's what he's saying. It is not a mantra. Again, I'm not taking, not here to beat up the Catholic Church, but this is what they do. It is not a mantra to repeat. 
However many times you repeat the phrase, our father is not going to carry some magical power or accomplish something. It's recognizing a person. It's just like me recognizing who my dad is from amongst all the men in the room. If you pack this room full of men, as many men as you could possibly get in this room, and you walk my dad in, it would take me no time whatsoever to pick him out. Whether I like him or don't like him, I know for a fact that's my dad. When we say our father, that's what we're saying. It's not some magic spell. It's not some magic prayer that we hope fends off whatever sin we did. It's saying, uh, Father, I'm addressing you. And Paul is bringing that father into this discussion with these other guys. He says Christ Jesus, man, three times here. He says Christ Jesus in one sentence. In two verses, three times, he says Christ Jesus. And he says, by the will of God, look at that, an apostle of Jesus from God our Father, Lord Jesus, faith in, faithful in Christ Jesus. He's tying all of it together. God is Father and Son, Lord They're all intertwined there. You cannot call Jesus Lord alongside the Father. Not in a biblical way. Not not if you're going to remain faithful to the Bible. Paul certainly would never have done that. For no other reason, the most recited verse among Paul and the Jewish people in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, and in our day today, the most recited verse. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is One. One. He would have known that. He would have said that every day. It was probably nailed on the side of his doorpost. He would have known that. And what he's pointing here to is the fact that they are both and yet one. This is why Paul doesn't just say God here. He says God, but then he says Father and Lord Jesus. Paul understands that God is one, but he's expressed in three persons, and he mentions two of them here. And we'll get into this because it's in here. It's in the theology of the book. So saying Father is not just a term of endearment here, but it's also recognizing who God is and who Jesus is in relation to that. Now, if it hurts your head or if you start to think that's impossible, you're right, and that's okay. He created the universe. It's all right that you cannot explain him, but it doesn't mean that you have to not believe what he says about himself. All right? So let me wrap this up with that uh, and and sum it up, as I kind of said, being a Christian is being a little Christ. That's a good thing. That's a real good thing. It's knowing who Jesus is as God and Him being fully one with the Father, and then it's having our identity and our purpose and our goals all being found in him. Paul said all of this in this two-sentence intro right here. As I said before, if if God's call on your life or God's plan in your life, if it's displayed by your identity in Christ, then people will know what it means to be a Christian. When they look at you, guys, stand up with me, and we're gonna sing one more song and wrap it up. Maybe, uh, maybe you're realizing today things aren't quite 
what you thought with being a Christian. Maybe for you, you're thinking, man, I've heard some of these statements before on the, some of these questions, I'm sorry, on that video. I've heard some of those or I've thought through some of those and maybe you're realizing today Christianity carries a little more than merit. And Christianity carries a little more than um, positive feelings or Ten Commandments. Well, it does. Christianity means being like Christ, not in your behavior, but in your surrender. And the fact that you have recognized who Jesus is, that he, though being God, made himself a man, that he took on a cross to face death, a death that we all deserve, that he bore sin, though he were sinless, in order to take it from us who never deserved that, and then face down a grave in order to defeat that grave because none of us have any hope of doing that either. That's the gospel. That's the grace of God who loves you. And I'm telling you today, if that's not a decision you've made, you've got to make it today. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that I know, man, I know, Lord, I can't. I've been following you for a long time. I'm a pastor. Lord, I planted a church. I still don't have all the answers at all. I still am in wonder and awe and discovery for so many things. Well, I love that because that just means there's so much more to you. And it's exciting. Um, Lord, but I do know who you are. Jesus, I do know who you are. And I pray that I am a Christian. That when people look at me, they see Christ. I pray that when people look at me, that they see your son, who you are, reflected through who I am. Lord, I pray that they see less of David and more of Jesus. And I pray if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that hasn't surrendered their life to you, they do it today. No magic spells, no mantras to repeat, Lord, that they just cry out to you from their heart and surrender. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.